So it's it's yeah, it's definitely super terrifying. I feel you. Just don't uh, have I, mushroom for it. In you don't have that's good. You don't have mushroom <laughs> game. I don't have mushroom for it. Oh. Um, I'm oh, not no. a very fun guy. doing normal stuff being totally normal, normal times totally normal this you is know, a wednesday we tuesday about, whatever you know doing regular human stuff yeah you know how humans Nothing are we be just be doing this <laughs> just, you know, yeah uh, there's nothing there's nothing upsetting happening at all it's just uh, yeah. normal you our know. planet is not in danger always no at <laughs> all. we will not be the victims of it struggling to survive without us um no <laughs> i hope you all missed us we certainly yeah. missed you we did miss you for people listening we are the goals next door the media and media literacy show that examines the real life uh historical and uh, chemical and all kinds of real things uh influences on our cinematic or uh media fears and this first series of 2022 is incredibly timely (laughs) very upsetting and you're not going to feel good at the end and i'm sorry sorry but not sorry like in that there's some necessary growth that I think will take place, but also everything yeah. sucks. So it's like a little weird mix of the both. Uh, it, yeah. It's kind of inevitable what's going on. It's just a matter of what shape of the apocalypse is going to take. So we are talking about eco horror, ecological horror, um, which most of the time is going to be about gross negligence of uh, governing people uh, who mess up. <laughs> Don't tell people what's going on. Uh, and then, They don't want to cause a national crisis or panic. No, no panic. Don't we panic. can't shut down the economy. Yeah. No. It's, we need, it's a we little need, Let's illness. get America back to work, Gabe. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> work till die. God. Or just work while you're a literal spore zombie. We're yeah. at work right now, but, you know, <laughs> you see how well our lives are going. Yeah. Yeah. So this is that grind culture, you know? Yeah. Rise and grind, even when, you know, you are a mushroom monster. We are going to be talking about The Last of Us 1 and 2, the video game, Mm -hmm. um, because it is terrifying. Uh, The second one won a lot of awards and was like game of the year or something. It has all kinds of really amazing things because uh, it had great accessibility and all kinds of stuff, but it also just phenomenal um, representation that's happening in there, uh, messaging, emotions, and also pure terror. It's hard to get that (laughs) with one piece of media and they do a good job. So I'm very excited to learn more about it. I'm going to say so many words and I'm sorry ahead of time. No, it's allowed. I am very excited about these games. 100%. And yeah. I think like what's interesting about this is I think people initially went into this title thinking like, oh, no, no, no this is the last, like, it's the last of the last of us. It's the last <laughs> one. We're done now. Uh, the mushroom mo- monsters the are going to The last, last of us. Um, and I don't think that that's what's happening. And I'm pretty excited about that. Um, it went a really interesting direction. And I'm like thrilled. Uh, well, why don't we jump in? And yeah. we are going to start with a little surprise. Hello. <laughs> For a second, I was like, what? What is what, surprise? What's, what's the surprise? Was, was I prepped beforehand? <laughs> no, um, but I am privy to this decision. Uh, Gabe and I have switched roles today. So hi. 
I'm going to do the media analysis time. Uh, hopefully you don't hate it. Uh, and you're like, cat, go back to history. You suck at this. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, I, don't know. No. I think it'll probably be fine. Um, but primarily uh, we have switched because my special interest in hyperfixation is almost always video games. Uh, I am a gamer uh, and spend the majority of my spare time doing so literally almost at the detriment of like all of my responsibilities and relationships. Um, I love gaming so much. And today we'll be talking about The Last of Us, both games, the first and the second, which is known for its very effective display of intense emotion and instilling the in-game player a complex understanding of the human experience. Uh, This game does an amazing job of showing the layers of humanity, the ways in which people are complicated. I had played this game when it first came out, and I remember, Gabe, we even did a Twitch stream about it, and it was mostly you'd be like, ah, why do they keep seeing me? Um, Because it's a stealth game, uh, which is very hard to do if you don't like to do stealth time. It's one of the big reasons why you're doing this part and not me. Yeah. I love stealth. It's actually my favorite game mechanic. Um, So... I When I saw it was on the PlayStation Now store, the second one, I was like, oh my gosh, this is fate. We can do an episode about both of them because I like had replayed it. And I think when we were discussing eco-horror, you and I both like made eye contact. We're like, the last of us. <laughs> so this game was amazing in many ways, um, but it also like really scratched the apocalypse itch and reali- made me realize, honestly, that I probably shouldn't have an apocalypse itch for my gameplay. <laughs> in hindsight, it's not that fun to be in an actual apocalypse. It's fun like when you're in a game, but it's not. <laughs> it re- yeah. This game does a really great job reminding you that the real apocalypse would probably be a really bad time and you don't actually want to experience it. Not a good um, escape when we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I will say, like, the first game I remember hitting really hard, but it was the second game that, like, ruined me, um, but in, like, a good way. Uh, It was so unbelievably emotional and made me feel things that I did not expect to feel, made me feel for characters I didn't expect to sympathize with, and also just, like, shifted who I was rooting for throughout the entire game, which is something that I feel like doesn't always happen. Usually games will set you up with a clear villain, demonize that villain to the point where you're like all right i'm cool murdering everything to Mm -hmm. help my protagonist get through this situation it flips that on its head and is like nah but that's bad probably and you're gonna feel accountable for your actions now and ow is all I really got to say about that but it was necessary and really good um for those of you who've never played the title Uh, either title of the game it's very stressful the monsters are actually challenging and the world is realistic in ways that are visceral and very uncomfortable Um, both games do horror really well Uh, if you are not a stealth player though i warn you that this will probably be a very frustrating game to get through and we've played it for you essentially so you don't have to if that's not your streams on it yeah, and honestly, after playing it, and it's very long, I pro- I want to redo it again, just through like reading about it and talking about it. Um, what makes these games great? They're honest, even when you don't want them to be. There are some people who feel like that's what made it maybe not a great game. I disagree, like, very strongly. Um, the Last of Us really shines in the game, not because it's especially unique in the premise or story, but it's specifically in its approach to gameplay and story development. You're given characters that hurt heroes who have spent their time in the apocalypse as brutal as anyone else, and characters who have lost most of the people they love and desperately cling to those they have left. Like any apocalypse narrative, the people in the game are scarier than the monsters, although the monsters are still pretty darn scary. Um, The first game, The Last of Us 2013... 20 years after a pandemic has radically changed known civilization, infected humans run wild and survivors are killing each other for food, weapons, and whatever they can get their hands on. Joel, a violent survivor, is hired to smuggle a 14-year-old girl, Ellie, out of an oppressive military quarantine zone. But as what starts as a small job soon transforms into a brutal journey across the U.S. This is developed by Naughty Dog. The first game lets you start in an unexpected way. You start as Joel's daughter, so before Ellie's even introduced, pre-apocalypse, and you get this background on whole Joel, ends up the way he does 20 years later. What you learn is that Joel's daughter 
does not make it on this journey. And the 20 years after that loss has left Joel somewhat numb and callous. Uh, Since the story centers on the first 20 years post-apocalypse, the remains of government uh, and society are still pretty prevalently the problem that the in-game character must face, at least at the beginning. There's a government-run soldiers that uh, over-police the remaining population, a guerrilla organization that rises up against them, and the other people who find themselves outside of both spheres desperately trying to, like, fight each other to survive or just, like, rebuild wherever they can. Um, The group that they highlight throughout the game that preach the goal of helping rebuild what is classified as a more humane society are called the Fireflies. Uh, The method of the Fireflies are like that of any other revolutionary force. The government in this world is familiar, handling the situation horribly, mismanaging supplies, acting brutally and bureaucratically. Hmm. Um, The first game sets you up with Joel and Tess, who in an attempt to recover guns that are stolen from them, meet up with Marlene, the leader of the Fireflies, who asks them to take Ellie, a 14-year-old kid, across town uh, to the members of her group. Uh, You get to an introduction to the spore-based monsters and the various stages of their development. And these monsters are both visually and auditorily scary. So, like, even their fear distribution is accessible because there's more than one way in which like the characters themselves present as like being terrifying um the monsters themselves are pretty unique compared to other zombies and gabe will get into whether or not like what they're doing and what if they could have why are we scared of mushrooms and spores um there's a good reason and gabe will get into that in her section um but spoilers for the first game um we're obviously going to spoil a lot of stuff in this but if you have not played the first game and you'd like to go do that now it is pretty long uh but it is very fun um Once you get a bit further into the game, you learn a secret about Ellie, the 14-year-old kid, that they are immune to bites, spores, and monsters. Ellie must get to the Fireflies' base across the country to work with doctors on a possible cure. Um, That's like the big reveal of the game, and you really just have to follow Joel and Ellie as they first find out that they don't have to just travel across town, but instead have to travel like from one side of the country to the other. Um, the middle of the game. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's an apocalypse There's spore monsters. There's other survivors who really want to murder them. Mm -hmm. Um, or just like really paranoid and like reasonably so, or just like having a hard time surviving. Um, I'm going to like kind of go quickly through the first game because I really want to talk about the second game more. But the middle of the game is essentially filled with Joel and Ellie bonding through a father daughter like kinship in an effort. uh, As I said, I'm going to rush through, but there are many impactful emotional scenes that happen throughout the game that hit you really hard. I think especially considering like the pandemic life that we're living right now, Um, characters that you don't want to see die that do and brutally. So, um, This game is as brutal as I think the actual apocalypse would be. While it's fun to think of what would happen in some wacky scenario in which society actually collapses, this game is quick to tell you how harsh and unforgiving that world will be. Um, And as you approach the end of The Last of Us 1, Joel faces an ethical dilemma that would make myself and Chidi from The Good Place's head explode. Um, It's one I think a lot of people would struggle with when given the choice between an uncertain cure in the life of a child who you've begun to love as your own There is no good answer. Um, The Firefly's doctor informs Joel that to even attempt to find a cure, Ellie will have to die. Why? I don't know. The game tells you that you just kind of have to. One thing I really like about these games, actually, is that you don't really get to make some of the choices that are like less appealing. You don't like you actually have to just live with consequences that you're like living through this narrative storytelling. Um, But the player doesn't really get to deliberate at all. Uh, You just have to make that choice. And. While it is arguably selfish choice to save Ellie that has like a lot of like societal implications, um, I get why Joel does this. Uh, and the game kind of ends in this kind of middle space between you wondering what happens next, what really happened at the Firefly's base, what really happened leading up to that. And that's something that does get answered in the second game. There are some people who feel like maybe it didn't need to be said, but I disagree. I think this game was amazing um, and definitely needed to be said. And so to give you a little synopsis of The Last of Us Part Two, five five years after the diagnosis, 
dangerous journey across the post-pandemic United States, Ellie and Joel have settled down in Jackson, Wyoming. Living amongst a thriving community of survivors has allowed them peace and stability, despite the constant threat of an infected or the desperate or other desperate survivors. When a violent event disrupts the peace, Ellie embarks on a relentless journey to carry out justice and find closure. As she hunts those responsible down one by one, she is confronted with the devastating physical and emotional repercussions of her actions. And boy, does she. The second game is what I'm really excited to talk about. Being five years after the Firefly incident, you see Ellie coming into early adulthood. She's 19 in this version of this game. Uh, in a stable environment, despite, despite growing up in the literal apocalypse, uh, in Jackson, they have security, electricity, somewhat normal home living arrangements, kids and playgrounds and nice times behind giant gates. Uh, the adults who live in the town go on patrols for supplies and remove infected that stalk the areas outside. Joel and Ellie have some kind of falling out that you explore throughout the entire game that ties back to the ending of the first game. Um, they have built somewhat of a normal life here, though. And while many of the population is still very traumatized by the world outside and the things that they've had to do to create this space, there's something kind of beautiful about this little haven they've created. Um, the second game really does an amazing job showcasing the impact of this trauma that the characters are dealing with and how mental health in the apocalypse is really complicated. Um, because even with the veiled comfort of suburbia in this rebuilt society, there is no real safety in this world, uh, in this apocalypse. And there's like this veil that uh, Ellie is kind of having, like, well, they're having a nice upbringing post that incident. Like they have made friends, they have, learn things in like a safe space to like kind of heal mm -hmm. and then that veil is like ripped away by what happens it's kind um, of like walking dead they always do that yeah once they settle it's like oh now you're dead yeah now everyone you love is gone um, <laughs> yeah and an you're reminded that the world sucks um yeah. The big theme for the second game is vengeance. Um, there is a cycle of pain that had me feeling Naruto Shippuden, pain art vibe, level sadness. Um, except Ellie is not Naruto. That's, no. that's something that we will learn. <laughs> what, have you seen it? You know. I'm not glad ninja. Yeah. There are so many threads that are happening all at once, so bear with me as I try to express everything. Like, so much happens in this game. It is so long. It's really hard to, like, tie all the threads together. Um, so for me, the second game hurt, like, in a way where you're glad you played it, but also really sad for a while afterwards. Um, I think it hit a lot of players hard for that reason, both because it's so long and con then content featured is arguably arguably could have been spread across two games instead of one. It's all crammed in there. Um, so there's so much ouch all in one space that just feels like it goes on forever, which I guess honestly is a nice metaphor for how the actual apocalypse would be. Um, you don't get to turn it off actually yeah. in those, like it just keeps going. Um, so it really leaves you feeling emotionally tired and regular tired once you finally get to the ending. <laughs> um, the biggest thing that really shocked me about the way that the story took the game though, is that by the end I was really irked by Ellie. Like, with her insistence on continuing to pursue vengeance when love and support were waving their arms dramatically in front of her, begging her to stay. It's also one of those things I actually really appreciate appreciated about the game, though, because it was honest. And it created like this feeling of like understanding that people are that frustratingly stubborn. That was a human response to the situation. And as the story forces you to kind of just continue to go when honestly there are many times where I was like why can't she just stay and be happy why mm -hmm. she has people who love her and then it's like but when you've experienced like you don't see that it yeah. feels innocent so it was just very honest it was very real and when it it really showcased the way that processing loss and seeking revenge like what would happen and what does mm -hmm. happen when those things take place the tunnel vision yeah and this was not lost in me, albeit very draining. Um, <laughs> spoilers for the second game. So why does Ellie want to revenge murder so bad? Um, the second title, Joel is brutally killed by a newly introduced character, Abby, and supported by a group of characters that we later learn are former Fireflies. Um, 
after watching a video from the creators of the game, I think they achieved what they were trying to do with this. Uh, they set out to create a game about the cycle of violence and the consequences that the choice to pursue and continue that cycle ha like has on the in-game characters that are both good and bad. Uh, it holds you accountable in ways that I have not seen a game do ever. Um, mm. Uh, there's a cyclical sacrifice that takes place throughout that if you're coming from the first title may be really hard to swallow. Uh, many players who plan to come to the second title looking for a story centered on Ellie and Joel growing together through the apocalypse, um, kind of just an extension of the first game, uh, it does not do that. Um, Joel's murdered very early, um, and while there are many critiques of this choice, and by specifically the level of exposition that takes place, this game forces you to follow Abby, the child of the doctor that Joel murders to save mm. Ellie from the Fireflies for like half of the game. Um, I feel these critiques because a lot of them are valid, but the gameplay was a lot. Um, and I felt that frustration as well, where at the beginning of that story development, I kept waiting anxiously to get back to Ellie. Uh, I felt myself getting really conflicted with my in-game choices, uh, not wanting to sympathize with Joel's murderer because that made the first half of the game where I'm tasked with revenge murdering a lot of people um, feel significantly heavier than a fake world video game time has ever forced me to feel. Mm. Um, and although I was, that was a lot, I thought it was a really brave choice for them to make. Um, and I think... It's something that we needed because it's way easier to commit atrocities when you dehumanize the enemy. That's why our country is the way that it is. Uh, mm -hmm. So for a game to challenge that and force the player into feeling this level of uncomfortability as well as accountability was just really cool as an idea for me. Um, the critiques of this game also highlight the lack of subtlety the game has, the lack of nuance. So it's kind of like no nuance November, but the whole time. <laughs> um, and the shift from the character development to theme pushing. And I get those critiques, but I also really enjoyed the characters that that direction allowed us to meet. I think this was maybe the this was maybe the game a lot of people didn't want to receive, but but it was the game that they needed to receive. Um and it was an experience that kind of forced an empathy shift that is heavily applicable to real life. Um, I welcome the nod back to the fact that Joel, Joel and Ellie were never supposed to be heroes. They needed those consequences. They did lots of effed up things mm -hmm. throughout their entire journey that like in any other scenario would have real and lasting consequences. And selfish so I, things. Yeah, like very selfish things that... Um, they like It's like that thing where it's like if you're going to kill somebody, you got to kill the whole thing. Because otherwise yeah. they're going to come for you. Um, and <laughs> wow, that is messed up. Like, so it's like, honestly, like yeah. they did not deserve a happy ending. Yeah. Um, any more or less than any of the other characters who are introduced in this game. Like, if anything, Ellie is a villain by the end of this. Or at mm -hmm. least you understand why they don't get to be happy. So yeah. uh, it really shows us you like why the apocalypse is only fun in theory and why the reality of what would actually happen is much more brutal than anyone would actually want to experience in real life. Um, this game does amazing things for accessibility. Uh, specifically, the game had 60, over 60 accessibility features, which are featured on the Naughty Dog website. Um, the website even has a configuration of these presets based on need. In hindsight, I realized I used all the hearing accessibility presets nice. um, because of how my brain processes sound on a sensory level usually makes it very challenging to play sounds. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and it also impacts like my ability to process what's visually happening and like auditorily happening. So the game, you can like add arrows to point like where the monster sounds are coming from mm -hmm. um, and like vibration cues for when certain actions need to take place. Uh, and as, all, as well as like the size and level of detail that your subtitles contain. So that was just awesome. really cool. Um, there was also vision and motor accessibility presets and extensive variations and control options to customize the experience to fit the needs of the player. Um, considering how amazing this game is with representation, storytelling, etc., it's not surprising to me that they would also take the time to make the game as accessible to as many like differently abled players as possible. Um, to get a full rundown of all the accessibility features, I recommend checking out Naughty Dog's website, which we can include in the description of the video. Yeah. Um, representation was something The Last of Us 2 also did really well. This game did something pretty amazing with representation, specifically 
as expected, because of that, Naughty Dog has received a decent amount of hate um, for its positive portrayal of women, lesbian, bi, trans, and BIPOC character characters, especially for integrating those characters so heavily into the world and story, creating complex, emotional human characters instead of just like caricatures and fodder. Mm -hmm. um, in an article from VentureBeat titled, Why the Story of the Last of Us Part 2 is Maddening and Fulfilling, spoilers, um, by Dean Takahashi. The creators claim this as a badge of honor. Um, What's happening is what we wanted. People are having conversations, said Haley Gross, narrative lead at Naughty Dog. In an interview with GameBeat, this is an inciting debate about good and evil. It's how far games can get pushed narratively about what makes a redemptive person and what a redemptive what makes a redemptive story. As long as people are asking those questions, I feel like we've accomplished what we have wanted to accomplish. Um, this game does an amazing job where lots of like dystopian and fantasy novels fail specifically that it actually just like heavily integrates the fact that non-white people exist. Um, Non-heteronormative people exist. They exist in the apocalypse too. Um, and it's just like really, really cool. Um, as a pan-Jewish gender fluid human, I love the representation in this game. I felt seen in a lot of the characters, um, including Dina, um, who is Ellie's love interest, Lev, the trans character, and Ellie for, for real, honestly. Uh, these characters were amazing and their capacity to be both good, evil, cruel, compassionate was so realistic that while I was exhausted by the end of the game, I was also thrilled that the game did what it did. I felt like frustration in initially with how long I had to walk in Abby's shoes. Uh, since the beginning, I didn't really care for her, but my feelings around Abby's character transformed exponentially as I went. Uh, I was so excited for the introduction of Lev, a trans boy dealing with so much in addition to the whole apocalypse. Um, while the line of the story made the game significantly longer and is where many pointed the bulk of their critique, it was one of my favorite parts of the game. Could they, could they have made that a whole separate game? Probably. But that's what honestly has me hoping for the future, um, a sequel that impacts that part of the world further. So uh, for those who've played it or those who haven't, there is a cult that develops in the game uh, where their character of Lev and Yara, they're from the Sephrites, I think I said it right, Seraphites, Seraphites. And the other organization that uh, Abby, the main antagonist, is from is called the WLF, uh, and they fight because... One group is like kind of free of infected, has this like cult following. They kind of go backwards in time in terms of like technology that they're allowed to use. Um, and that is where Lev and Yara are from. Uh, but it was really interesting. And I would love to have like a third game which focuses more heavily on Lev and Yara's backstory and this really interesting cult like community that develops on this island free of infected. Um, there's also like people who said that like, Joel and Ellie's relationship felt more meaningful than the development of Lev and Abby, which I would completely disagree. Um, there was so much left of me like feeling so strongly emotionally, but also like wondering what would happen to Abby and Lev after Ellie leaves them on the beach at the end. Um, and I thought it was so cool and I am so ready for another sequel where it's just Lev and Abby taking on the world together, finding the fireflies because that's kind of what they were trying to do. Um, where maybe even because Ellie has murder revenged everyone and is now miserable and sad and has no purpose can be the cure guy again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> maybe in the third one, because they realize how fruitless this revenge murder cycle is, maybe they all team up and find a cure. And then we get a background on Lev and Abby and we get all this like more information for this new story. Cause honestly, anyone who says like, it's not as meaningful, just maybe this game wasn't meant for them. Um, so there's apparently a plot pitch for the last of us three, which is confirmed by a game rant article that I am here for and ready to give my money. Um, I think they achieved something here that surprised everyone and did so in a way that was raw and painful and necessary for people who usually don't see themselves in games. So the people who don't get it might need to put on their media analysis glasses and recognize that maybe they weren't the target audience for this game. Yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah. You got <laughs> like 98% of the games. Let somebody else have some time yeah. in game now. Like what? Okay, so you there's one that's not for you. 
And also the Yikes. main protagonists were still freaking white ladies. So like what yeah. do you <laughs> Yeah. And so it's like, like even steps forward, there's still room to, that needs to happen. Um, yeah. I think I mean hearing about the fact that you like play through love and what I think is interesting about them having it be a part of the main game and not this like side thing is that it's forcing people to have mm-hmm. to play it, which I'm sure is what everyone was complaining about was that they were forced to play this experience. But I think like as media creators, that is so bold and necessary to be like, this is an experience that exists and you all have to, you got to do it. Cause so like, cause it's real. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, just, and like that was Suck like the whole game, honestly. Like for me, like it was so much like this hurts, and you need to understand that though. Like you need to empathize and have like emotions, because like yeah, the world is horrible, but you still have to feel things, um, and we're gonna make you feel things again. Um, you might not want to see that people exist in this world, but you have to if you want to play this game. Yeah, you don't really get a choice. They did so much across the board. There's like so many threads that I like forgot this one part. Uh, Like they show the manifestation of like PTSD and like other like mental health things that would obviously take place in an apocalypse scenario where Mm -hmm. you're murdering so much. Um, Where like the character Ellie, like as they're going through the game, you see the even like the characters that talk to each other that she's murdering. She'll murder someone and they'll be like, Johnny, no. Like the other people. So like you'll feel the impact of as that's happening. Mm-hmm. Or like as Ellie progresses throughout, like she gets more brutal as she goes. It goes like from, ah, oh, geez, I wish I didn't have to do this to F you, go Just die, gritting yeah. teeth and like really like murdering like extra hard. And like <sighs> it's so different as the character goes like they transform in like such a drastic way that honestly it's like it seems like that's what joel was trying to protect her from but then in dying like that's off the table like he didn't want her to seek revenge but she did and like Mm -hmm. even tommy the brother of joel like the same thing happens to him he has like a happy life in this town joel's brother and like as they're going He's at first like, Ellie, don't do this. I'll do it for you. I'm going to protect you in the name of Joel. Um, And then at the end, he's the one who so he gets shot by Abby and like injured in a way that like hurts him like long term Um, uh, where he he has trouble walking. And Mm -hmm. his entire perspective is like, what do you mean you're not going to go revenge murder this lady? I see that you have this wonderful life with a baby and your love of your life here on a farm with goats and happiness. I want you to abandon that because that lady hurt me. And I think it's Mm -hmm. your responsibility to go murder her because that's what Joel would have wanted. Where it's like, no, it's not what they would have wanted. You're literally lost your purpose. And like, even in the cult, there's like all this stuff where like when they started, there were lots of messaging that have been like warped. So it was like also a critique on like how religion could be. Mm-hmm. warped in like an apocalypse scenario to justify or has been used to justify like atrocities throughout human history mm-hmm. um where it's like the teachings of the thing are totally lost to the people who are in charge and who are using that as a means to just like brutalize their communities and other people um yeah and justify murdering other people that like, name make them nameless make their dehumanize them so that it's their survival is more important than yeah. yours. But yeah, they just so many amazing them things. And you, yeah. Like, and we so are more deserving stuff. of living. Yeah. That's not true. Or at <laughs> least like true. you got to get it, you know? Yeah. It's such a good game. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super interesting. Like all the different levels of that. Cause the apocalypse is so complex and um, it's so interesting for a game to especially for the second game to be less about like let's go kill the like the clickers and the monsters that are happening or like even talk about the fact that like why we're here and people get sick because like in zombie like that's really like happening as well is like there's also the threat of zombies but the real fear even in something like the walking dead is like the people (laughs) like you just gotta deal with regular regular folk who are trying to live and are like really crazy and like could have been happy like they rebuilt stuff but then chose revenge instead Mm -hmm. people be like that yeah (laughs) well with that being said uh (laughs) let me let me go it's my turn uh i am 
playing Kat's part where I'm going to talk about facts because uh, when Kat pitched uh, The Last of Us, it was clear that we would have to switch roles because I cannot play this game. I cannot stealth. And you could probably find that video when I tried and how frustrated I was. And it was very toxic. <laughs> for anyone who was around me. I remember uh, you getting so mad. I was so angry. I was like, people probably don't want to watch you just curse like, a lot. Ah, and ah. I was like, but it's fine. I'm going to let you do it. I just start over that one section. Like, I got as far as like, oh, we have to take Ellie across country. And I was like, no. <laughs> JK, we don't. Um, so <laughs> I wasn't going to do it. But on top of that is the fact that like, one of the reasons why I even tried to play the game was that mushrooms and fungi uh, are genuinely terrifying to me. I am very afraid of them, <laughs> which is like funny because if you're watching, I have it on my face. Uh, so the clickers and like the the main thing, it's like it's so much like I can handle zombies. It's like corpses, right? Like thing, it's gross, yeah. but it's not <laughs> your like a mushroom monster. Yeah, it's now. not your makeup right now. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not like, there's some images of clickers that like haunt my nightmares forever. Um, there's a part of like trypophobia that comes in when it comes to to mushrooms, like, and they have like their little gills that really get to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's so much else just like everything about, like, I think they're beautiful. And I think that like parts of them are really fascinating. And I also eat them like, I get it, but I am like, we need to respect yeah. fungus because it could way, murder Like, you. Yeah. we need to respect it. It's the same way I feel like I don't ride horses because I respect them too much. They are big, okay. powerful beings, and I, there's no way I'm going to disrespect you and ride on you. That's not how that's working. Anyway, I can't because I'm allergic. Yes. <laughs> I have this. I, it's stupid. I get it, but I, like on this, there's just something in me where I'm just like, no. No, no disrespect, sir, horse. Um, so I am not a fungiologist or whatever, whatever it would be called, because um, <laughs> I know Kat often will disclaim. Uh, we not do research. We do what we can, right? We have the Internet. So everyone's like a little pocket scientists every now and again. Yeah. Uh, but I am terrified of them. And so through that terror have done research because that's what you do when you're afraid of something you're like i need to know more and to solidify that fear and we're gonna have a little bit more of that next week where cat's gonna go on a journey that i went on um no. i'm <laughs> so not things. excited um so i have looked into the millions of truly horrifying things that they are capable of doing uh <laughs> so did you know my dear ghoul scouts, uh, that fungi are genetically closer to humans than plants. Genetically, they are like the cousin of humans. Oh, Lord, right? that's they were there to me. When we started becoming people, fungi were there, right? They were one of the first things in there, breathing, living, you know? And then <laughs> we're like, it's a plant. It's not a plant. It's live. It's live in such a way that plant is not. Um, so some fungi can even move on their own. Okay. <laughs> so just need you all to be where I am. They are alive and they are real in a way that we wish our houseplants were real. <laughs> like we're like, we would love it if they were like, they could tell us what they're doing. Anyway. In a way that I 100% wish fungi were not alive. Uh, yeah. I have seen many horror-adjacent content uh, that is related to fungi that have stayed with me for forever in the way that a lot of those things do, just because I'm like, oh, no, oh, we're doing mushrooms? Cool. All right. That's great. Uh, <laughs> including an episode of Hannibal. And I love Hannibal. It's a beautiful, disgusting masterpiece of a show that is also very traumatizing. And one day we will do Hannibal because it's so beautiful. Uh, yeah. And there's just things that they do to the human body that like you never would think you would say that's beautiful. But it was like there's a point where someone's made into an instrument and I just can't. It's like I don't want to I see just, that. I have to. It. You're, you'll be changed but there's a there's a part of it that has are they to do alive with while it happens mushrooms uh <laughs> okay i'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry uh but there's there is an episode regarding mushrooms and i i was like yeah uh, i think there is an episode of criminal minds or something like that that had mushrooms or it was like a serial killer as well it happens mm. mushrooms are scary and the okay. fact that they're so close to humans and like that they can live and flourish and in, in dying 
places and they thrive despite all else. It could be, you know, inspiring and also really scary, uh, especially when I tell you what, what the, the, the clickers in this uh, apocalypse world are based on and how they're pretty close to real things that happen. And God forbid they ever really happened. Uh, oh, no. We'd be done. So... In the Last of Us universe, as Kat explained, there's a post-apocalyptic wasteland full of broken people who are trying to survive and are seeking revenge for wrongs that have been done to them and those they love. Cool. But in this apocalypse, like most others, uh, it really questions what it means to be human and how strong our connections are to like societal expectations and duties and blah, blah, blah. Um, and the monsters are kind of like a secondary thing, right? Like zombies are kind of, you forget about them. Um, But I think further than that in The Last of Us, it offers us a truly horrifying premise that unlike zombie films is possible. Um, In the incredibly early days of ghouls, I think like episode episode five or something, we covered zombies (laughs) and we talked about in that episode how there could be zombies. And um, we discussed uh, certain parasites that could control your mind. And this is pretty much the same thing. Um, oh, so uh, though it's not to the same level as our cinematic monsters, uh, the this idea of a parasite taking over as a host for your brain and reducing humans to their basic instincts uh, for survival is really unsettling uh, and is pure horror just in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with The Last of Us, it's also based on real parasites, <laughs> real life things that are controlling their host for their own wants and needs and now people don't mean anything um the infection in the last of us universe is similar to that of a zombie infection where we're turned into creatures that are driven uh by instinct but uh in in need to spread the infection it's always important with a parasite Uh, but instead of like a vague what if scenario this infection is literally based on a real life fungus the name itself is like this is <laughs> real life fungus. So uh, according to the Last of Us wiki page, they say the mutant infection began to spread in the United States in late September 2013. And in just several months, roughly 60% of humanity was either killed or infected by the cordyceps fungus referred to as the cordyceps brain infection. And that the whole thing is like, that's re- <laughs> they called it yeah. the cordyceps brain infection in the game and there's a there's a cordyceps fungi in our life <laughs> that exists um so uh. super spreading infections sound a bit too real right now <laughs> in the midst of omicron that is spreading uh but i will say the one silver lining to covid in omicron is that it is not this fungus <laughs> That's, That's it. Good. That's what I got for you. It's not a fungus that takes over your brain and gives you these spores on your face. Um, but I'm gonna, I am going to explain the very real cordyceps fungus and why you should be afraid. But first, let's go through the progression uh, of the game's infection and what that looks like so you can get properly uh, terrified the way that I am. So this infection evolves through four stages, each one increasingly more horrifying than the last. So the first one is called runners. They're called runners. And in this step, uh, the stage of the process, the fungus grows while the host is still alive. So this is that, you know, zombie bite guy. <laughs> He's yeah. like, oh, it's nothing. Um, and it takes away any higher brain function and with it their humanity. So they become violent um, and just reactionary. And it causes the infected hosts to get hyper aggressive um, and inca- incapable of reason or rational thought. And runners have terrible eyesight, um, but they are still like, they can still see and they yeah. still look human and sound human, which is also really terrifying because when you hear them in the game, they sound like people moaning instead of like a monster. So like you have that instinct to be like, I got to go save that person, but it's not a person. It's a monster. Um, And it really kind of shows this first step shows like the fitful resistance of the human body, uh, but it's going to (laughs) fail. It's it's for not. Stage two are called stalkers. Uh, And as the infection progresses, the infection begins altering their sight. And as a result of progressing fungal growth over their head and creates a a corruption of their visual cortex. So this is where we're starting to get that like classic uh, clicker look on your eyes. This stage takes uh, anywhere from a week to a year 
depending on just like people change, body to body, it's different. We are learning that here in, in our, our actual pandemic. Um, yeah. The stalkers are still vaguely human-like, but are way more rabid. Uh, this is where you begin to see the growths. And um, because cordyceps are capable of bioluminescence, some of these stalkers glow, which is fun. Little yeah. glow in the dark monster to come get you. Um, stage two is also where they start to use that echolocation. So they leave behind those like human groans for this like odd croaking sound that they're using to locate their prey instead. So they're becoming a little creepier. Then we get to all the, <laughs> the worst of the game and why I, I was like, oh, I got to play this game because I'll, I'll cry. Uh, and they're called clickers. Uh, <laughs> my nightmares. Uh, at this point, the infection will eventually scar the face completely, uh, causing them to lose their sight and resulting in them developing a primitive form of echolocation to compensate. They cannot see. Um, this stage occurs after a year or so, um, and clickers rely entirely on echolocation since they no longer have eyes um, <laughs> at all and instead have disgusting and haunting girls where their eyes once were. Yes. For babies. Uh, their echolocation comes in the form of unsettling clicking sounds uh, that will haunt your dreams. And that's why they're called clickers. Uh, and <laughs> uh, the infected folks are even less human. Their bodies are like uh, mostly like mostly a fungi at that point. Yeah. Um, and then there's a stage four that are pretty rare in the game, but do exist. And they're called bloaters. Um, so over a very long time, uh, they will eventually develop hardened fungal plates over most of their body. If the fungus kills the host, the host body will grow stock-like fungal projections, which release infectious spores. The infection can also be spread through bites from living hosts. Hosts can only be affected when alive, as the fungus is unable to infect dead bodies due to its parasitic nature. It wants you alive so you can spread it and it could use you as a puppet. Um, so even then it's dead, it can still spread its virus. But if you're alive, it's coming for you. Um, yeah. The bloater stage takes um, like decades in rumors. <laughs> it's decades to do. And unlike the clickers and other infected, the bloaters aren't mobile. They're as mobile or sophisticated enough to use their echolocation, but instead uh, they fulfill their need to spread the infection by release, releasing mycotoxin. So they're just like, there, now you're it. And when I tell you about the real friggin' fungus, <laughs> that's just a thing that it does. Uh, so that little explanation is just to help you sleep tonight. Just think of those and fall fast asleep. But now let's get into the, non the, the nonfiction, the real life, Truly horrifying, real fungus that really exists. Yeah, it's very real. Uh, as I mentioned, The Last of Us Cordyceps brain infection is based on the real Cordyceps fungus, and the inspiration from the infected came to the directors Bruce Straley and Neil Druckmann after watching a BBC Planet Earth clip. And I told you it's horror. <laughs> you may recall a Ghouls episode in which Kat has said uh, adamantly that any episode about the underwater world that we live in uh, is a horror movie. It is. So Planet Earth is horror. Our planet is scary. <laughs> Our planet is scary. And here's the facts. Uh, the, clip in, the clip in question features the infection of an ant by this cordyceps fungus. And I'm not big on science, but I remember learning in school about this fungus. And it's one of the only things I recall from school regarding science because I was like that's horrifying I guess I'll never forget that um <laughs> and I definitely saw like the similar clips that they were using in the planet earth clip and I was like yep that's the thing that's in my nightmares um so in this clip um we hear Sir David Attenborough uh as he explains the progression and horror of the parasitic infection so first the infection occurs um and in a super helpful uh article on uh medium i found uh the zombie fungus in the last of us is actually real by Katie writes um who i'm like 80% sure we've done a a an a We've cited Katie rates before, um, but they say uh, a foraging carpenter ant walks through an area of the tropical rainforest floor infested with microscopic spores dropped by a mature fungus and the spore excretes an enzyme that eats through the ant's exterior shell. And that's gross. Um, <laughs> and next week when we talk about what's going on there, you're going to be even more afraid. So that's how they get infected. It, it 
gets yeah. into their shell. Their and then once infected, uh, the the fungal... Oh, sorry. I messed up my quotes here. Uh, the fungal cells in the ant's head release chemicals that hijack the insect's central nervous system. That's good. Mm-hmm. So it's taking over. And the ant will latch onto a tree in uh, or like a stem... And they Uh call it uh, technically the death grip. So after two days, the ant leaves its tree colony and climbs down to a spot where humidity and temperature are optimal for fungus growth uh, because it knows that. Uh, The ant crawls onto a stem or the underside of a leaf and bites into the middle vein uh, so it won't fall. And then it dies. So (laughs) this fungus that is alive and intelligent hijacks an ant takes it away from its friends and then latches onto a leaf so it won't fall when it dies. And then it dies. Cause it's like, I'm done with you. I didn't need you. That's as, that's all I needed you to be alive for is so that you can grab onto this leaf. Um, and in the video, this is where you can see the body of the cordyceps fungus growing out of its head. And it's uh-huh. like slowly just like this little, huh. um, and it's this haunting progression of it excreting and growing and like reaching out and it's so gross and uh that is the uh fungal growth stage where the fungus eats the ant's internal organs using its shell as a protective casing so it's just chilling on this stem eaten from the inside uh and the fungus main stem the stroma erupts from the back of the ant's head and grows and at the peak of infection about 40 to 50 percent of the ant's body is made up of fungus on the inside so if you'll remember from the clickers they were majority fungus by that part Um, yeah because it ate all your parts on the inside um (laughs) it's so scary because it's like not even like it's not made up this is like science. Yeah, like what like, if, if people stepped if, on it? What would yeah, happen? If people, if this affected people, this is literally what would happen. And so after about three weeks of this poor ant being devoured from the inside, it will begin releasing spores from the tip uh, of that little thing uh, that seek to infect other ants and turn them into fungus heads. And uh, the mature fungus releases spores from the, the stroma and the spores fall to the ground, creating a 10 square feet killing zone which will attack new ants. Um, <laughs> again, because it's strategic. Uh, so it's just like a bomb of, like, let's get all these guys. So at this point in the video, Sir Attenborough lets us know that the infection is strong and can wipe out entire colonies of ants. This is why if an ant is discovered with the infection, they will be cast out. Like, the group is like, nah, you gotta die. Like, you cannot be here, Um, which is what we see. Like, ants are super smart, so they do that. But if they don't get caught and they happen to be nesting up there, you don't see them, and then they're dropping their spores, now the whole colony is dead. Um, And even more excitingly, there are thousands of different types of cordyceps fungus, and each focus on one species. They adapt so that they could be the most lethal for whichever species they're attacking at one time. It's great. And in an article on Live Science titled Zombie Fungus Enslaves Only Its Favorite Ant Brains by Joseph Castro, the helpful and positive writer (laughs) that they are, say, parasitic fungus known to manipulate the brains of ants doesn't make slave-like zombies out of any old host. Instead, the microorganism is somehow able to recognize the brains of different ant species and releases its mind-controlling chemical cocktail only when it's in a preferred host, new research shows. So it's Yay. not just—it's not just like who we want, whatever. It it has a plan, like it has a modus operandi. <laughs> it's like yeah. I, this, it has a serial killer that knows what it wants. <laughs> so ridiculous. This is a this is a fun guy that we're talking about here, right? It has the fun guy. Its yeah, it's not mindless or purposeless infection that's spread forever. It's aware of its evolutionary needs. So it strategically chooses which species of ant to infect and when and who. <laughs> so that's fun. And people are like, Yeah. What if it was like them. people now though? <laughs> yeah. Right. So in an interview with Game Informer uh, titled The Inspirations for The Last of Us, creators Straley and Druckmann were inspired uh, not by the gruesome video 
but rather like just the video, like they'd watched it, they were like, whatever. But it was actually when Sir David Attenborough explains that the more numerous the species, the more likely it is to become infected. Uh, so it's like if there's a larger population of whatever this is, like it's definitely getting infected. And so they ask themselves, what if this thing jumped to humans? <laughs> yeah. What if? <laughs> what if? Um, oh, no, I see what is coming next visually. And I'm upset. Continue. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The terrifying thing about the cordyceps fungi is how it evolves to best suit each of its specific intended targets uh, and the different types uh, and the results of the infection can be oddly beautiful. And like they have this, I've seen like this uh, sped up version of like different, <laughs> the different cordyceps fun uh, fungus in these different insects and that like growing and blooming with like this new live uh, and others are just horrific. So here's a little bit a uh, visual pleasure for anyone who's watching um, <laughs> where you can see how each one looks very different and they all also serve different purposes because there's also one called um if you're listening to this i want you to look it up it is for specifically tarantulas because they're not scary enough just on their own uh and they're called it's called the cordyceps ignata and this one sprouts several buds from its victim and the kicker <laughs> is that it doesn't aim to spread its own uh, uh, parasite. It actually just kills it. So it just does it for giggles. <laughs> so it yeah. turns a tarantula, again, already terrifying creature, into this thing just for kicks. Not even for, like, for it's spreads. cool. It's so yeah. gross and awful. Um, and the way the infection spread... Uh, was a bit similar to our current COVID situation in which humans ate things and spread things unknowingly in the game. Um, so there's like a newspaper clipping in The Last of Us uh, that you can find at Joel and Sarah's house. And it says that the infection began spreading after a series of crops became infected in South America. And the Food and Drug Administration's investigation of crops potentially tainted with mold continues across the country, the article reads. Initial lists distributed to vendors nationwide warned against crops uh, imported, but now the scope has extended to include Central America and Mexico. Uh, and it's like, it, that's, it, it gets everywhere. So it's just like food. Like it, yeah. you wouldn't even know. It just, ha it's just all of a sudden it was here. Um, and when I was Googling the fungi, uh, I found that many people actually take the cordyceps fungus for medicinal purposes. Like right now, today, they do. Like I saw that when you look up cordyceps fungus, that's the most thing that you're going to see is like, go buy it at Whole Foods. Um, but here's some good news. <laughs> it is unlikely that we'll see this fungus infection in humans. Um, there are currently no species of cordyceps that target humans or mammals of any kind. Um, and it would probably take a very long time. So it doesn't mean that it couldn't evolve to one day do that yeah. uh, it's just more likely to take thousands of years for that evolution and if there were a cardiceps fungus like infection then after the years plural <laughs> of the pandemic that we've had from a simple respiratory infection i have very little doubt that we as humans would be able to maintain that spread of an infection like this yeah i, I think we would die yeah We've had years of this. So um, it's also like, who's to say that one of these medicinal purpose drugs that are made with cordyceps doesn't alter the timeline? The fact that like we are read it, like people are regularly ingesting this and probably like uh, there's probably people trying to expedite the way that they're making those so that people can get access to them quicker. Like there's all kinds of things that we're probably doing chemically to them for people to ingest them that could jumpstart their evolutionary process in this timeline Capitalism. and speed it up so that it actually happens. So it's not yeah. fiction. It's very real. <laughs> Ow. And I'm valid in, in being terrified of, yeah. of mushrooms and I want everyone to know. There's also like a really interesting documentary on Netflix that's just about mushrooms, like about fungi specifically. I won't. Uh, I won't. So it's it's yeah, it's definitely super terrifying. I feel you. I still uh, have I, mushroom for it. You don't know. That's good. You don't have mushroom <laughs> game. I don't have mushroom for it. Oh. Um, I'm oh, not no. a very fun guy. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, good. well, yeah, people can watch it. I'm not going to do it, although I get it. Um, and this is just step one of many episodes we're going to have in this eco-horror world. And it's like, I think a part of this series that's really scary is how real it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is like it it's just like one little evolutionary step away for this to happen and that sounds like stupid but then you have that whole world that you like I have no doubt that it would come down to something like it did in the game and that someone would make the de- decisions that they made right yeah um, because people be like that <laughs> like it's not a, it's not fiction in that way um, and I and what we're going to find in this series I think is uh, something we already know especially in the since we're in the middle of an entire panini press, um, is that the people in charge don't do what they should and that yeah. they react too late. And now it's over. <laughs> like now. Yeah. We got and a big thing that I think like this game could do really well is play upon the fears that are very valid and exist around the fact that COVID is new. Mm-hmm. Um, and something the game does pretty well is like show the what happens when the fungus gets to exist for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why they said it twenty years after the pandemic has happened in the game. Um, mm-hmm. So like even extending that timeline further um, would be really interesting and probably scare a lot of people because that's a big fear that's happening right now. We don't know what will happen twenty years from now to humanity mm-hmm. just from the fact that this illness has evolved where it has and what is happening so i think if they're redoing that there's a lot of different ways that they could take the monsters that they could take what happens to the remaining population does it instead attack the food supply because of the fact that there's not enough humans left adapt yeah like there's not enough humans left in this world 60 percent so maybe now it starts to impact other animals. You know, there's lots mm-hmm. of like possibilities for like the direction <gasps> that they could dog. take this. Yeah, it would be horrible. Um, really horrible. Because dogs are a pretty big part of The Last of Us 2. Uh they like are a part of like their survival mm-hmm. creation. Uh they like yeah. train them to help hunt and like stuff like and that. And they're emotional. Like they're to keep us kind of sane yeah. too for like emotional well-being too um but yeah there's like some really cool directions i think the game could go in just with that fact alone uh really play upon those fears that already exist uh and i'm sure this period of time has been nothing but inspiration sparking for the creators because they get to see what it would would look like (laughs) for realsies you know what i mean yeah the incompetence is not just theoretical anymore it's uh it's on tv uh so yeah yeah. And I think it's also interesting because, like, Ellie, if I'm correct, she, like, lived her whole life in this yeah. world. Like, she didn't, she doesn't know pre-cordyceps fungus world. Yeah. So it's like, and now we'll have a whole nother generation of kids that, who, or yeah. people that just, that's not, like, the same thing now. Like, we have a bunch of kids who, as an entire generation, are not going to know a world where COVID wasn't around. Yeah. No, it's, it's not going real. anywhere. <laughs> you yeah, know, like it's it going to be here for forever. So it's, yeah, it's just a matter of like, uh, that's like a whole different thing too. Is because like, what does that do to to morality when you're in a world that's always fight or flight, yeah. constant? Um, you get messed up. And it's also hard because like all the adults are traumatized. So the, are they doing a very good job taking care of those kids uh, mm-hmm. and making them feel emotionally well? And stuff like that. Because it's like, that's a big thing in the first half of the second game is that they've rebuilt society in some way. Uh, But like so many of the adults just don't know how to process their emotions because they've experienced such extensive trauma that like this rebuilt world is like a veil. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel real and it feels like upsetting even to some of the characters who are like, this isn't honest. (laughs) <laughs> and they don't um, have like therapists yeah <laughs> like, no one's no, going to 60% school of the population we can't like is gone. progress technology or like anything because we're set back we only got 12 people alive like <laughs> and i guarantee they're not all the scientists and doctors that we needed like that's yeah you know um yeah it's super interesting and i think out of all the like i zombies are really scary not gonna lie and depending on which ones they are they could be even more terrifying right like if they're really fast <laughs> like yeah. the dawn of the dead when they're like ah. uh but this is very scary to me especially because it just happens and then you're just it you're just now you're 
gross. gross. Yeah, it's very much like, yeah, you it's hard to avoid because it's airborne. um, Mm -hmm. And that's something that's like very different. It's like once you have it, you it's it's done. It's very much like uh, the movie where the thing is falling towards earth and everyone's just like all right melancholia Melancholia. yeah and they're just Mm -hmm. like i guess this is what we're gonna do now um and like it just does like a lot of development too and like what do i want to be there for that there's characters who choose not to be there Mm -hmm. and that's even his whole like really stressful and emotional thing uh just because like living in that world is hard Mm -hmm. um so yeah, I mean, living in this one's hard, so it is yeah. very hard over there. Um, but yes, I hope you all enjoyed our first episode back, 2022. Starting, starting hot. Uh, next week, we're, we're going to be talking about the found footage where we filmed The Bay. Uh, Tune in for that. It's one of I'm my favorite upset. found footage horror films, uh, and for good reason. And uh, <laughs> Kat's going to go through a lot of things, because it's like this. Based on some very real things, <laughs> not I just, just you know, and like fact and fiction is like a blurred line, and that's what this is. So, um, I'm like never going to Maryland again. I just want you to know that because <laughs> of that movie, yeah. never in my life will I set foot in Maryland for the rest of existence anywhere in the Chesapeake Bay. I know that's still kind of Pennsylvania. I just no People food do. that comes from the water is going in my mouth ever. Yeah, no more crabs. Yeah. Locally sourced? I don't know. I I don't think that's an option. It's not safe. Yeah. I don't want that in me. So Stay tuned for why Kat is terrified of the Chesapeake Bay and why you should be as well. And why you should be afraid of the government that is poisoning us. Um, And don't get married. Well, your kids, or if you have them, I guess, are you going to have them in this world? I don't think, like, why? And they're still going to happen. They happen every day in my entire Facebook. That's true. And it's not children. like you have a, like ready birth control in the apocalypse. So oh, I sent you a TikTok that was good for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, bye, everyone. Bye. I love you. <laughs>